Hello and welcome back to the Lorg Waves. Woo! Woo! I'm one of your hosts, Michelle. I'm Justin. I'm A.E. And we are here to bring you episode seven of Dominaria. Dominaria, Dominaria. Don't say Dominaria. Don't say Dominaria. It's Dominaria. It's Dominaria. You've got, you have to pretend that there's a speck of dust in your nose. And you so have you to, have to hold your head up ever so slightly. And then you have to say Dominaria. Or you could pretend that you're Maggie Smith pretending to be the Dowager Countess on, on, on Downton Abbey and just, it's Dominaria. Mm. <laughs> These sandwiches are not very good as the ones I had on Dominaria. <laughs> Please pass cucumber sandwiches, Michelle. <laughs> oh, of course. I got these cucumbers from Dominaria. <laughs> <laughs> they're grown in Vanalia. Oh, it's they're so they're perfection with this lotus tea. Yes, definitely. We got that from Caligo. <laughs> <laughs> I really love Maggie Smith, if you can't tell. <laughs> but where is Maggie Smith in in Dominaria? What, oh. what character is she? Well, she's definitely probably the Dowager Countess Baron Lady of. Um, that big city in Benalia. The capital city? The capital city of Benalia. <laughs> it's probably just Benalia City. Episode 7. <laughs> okay, so. Episode, episode seven. 7. The Conscience Awakens. Awakens. <laughs> Hello. Good morning. <laughs> Teferi. Teferi walks out to the beach by himself before Serious dawn. Business. Serious Shh. business. And thinks he sees a landscape in the clouds, the country of Zalfir he phased out of time and reality years and years ago. He mulls over his decision to save those he loved from the Phryxian invasion against his own wish to fight and die. Was there something else he could have done? No, but perhaps he could have? No. Around him, pilgrims from Femereth also pay homage to the shimmering memory of Zalfir. Teferi walks away from the Zalfirian void, taking a piece of it within him. Back in a town of the living, an innkeeper commiserates with him about being named after... Teferi the Destroyer, huh? I'm not related to any destroyers. Must be a burden, huh? A name like that? Like dragging around a dead weight? Out of respect for my grandmother, I kept it. I should never be able to live with it. A brand on the soul. Luckily, no one need wear their soul on their sleeve. The only thing I can think of that would be worse than to bear that man's name would be to be that man. I can't imagine. On his way out, Teferi is confronted by two badasses, Sabira and Quende. They ask him if he's Teferi, and if so, why a dead man wanted to see him. Turns out their traveling companion got done in by magic. Time magic. Unable to contain his curiosity, Inspector Teferi puts on his deer hunter hat and goes to solve this new murder mystery. On their walk outside the village, Teferi is relieved to hear that Sabira and Quende aren't a couple since he's starting to experience time dilation for her. When they arrive at their caravan, Teferi examines the body. He deduces that the man was poisoned with death magic and preserved as to appear locked in time. At this point, Sabira and Quende add two and two together and calculate that this know-it-all stranger named Teferi is in fact THE Teferi. They also believe his curiosity over the body is genuine and don't try to pin the murder on him. Teferi opens up to Sabira that he regrets not having the power to bring back Zalfir. She doesn't hate him, and he calls that a win. That's when the sandstorm sweeps in. A desert twister can destroy any permanent, and this looks worse. Teferi goes out to try to save the caravan and everyone else. He raises an enormous time bubble that protects everyone from the storm, but he ain't the planeswalker he used to be. And he makes the face you all saw in the cardboard cutout at pre-release, you know, the one with the teeth bared, and faints. Subira and her drover friends warn him that the townsfolk have their Jamora equivalent of pitchforks out for the nearest mage they can find, Teferi. But who would accuse him of bringing the sandstorm upon us, Subira demands. Then Teferi realizes, it was Quende all along! Quende killed the dude and set up this whole situation to entrap Teferi. It feels like a double strike to his heart. Quende brandishes those seriously insane-looking crystal daggers and reveals his true identity and motives. Teferi, you destroyed Zalfir. No, I phased it out. I know the ability is hard to understand, but... You killed Majetta the Lion. 
He couldn't be regenerated. Now whenever I look at a cat of any kind, I burst into tears. Sorry about that, but a phased creature isn't destroyed. And you level the Talrum Mountains. The Minotaurs who lived there made these crystal daggers. You mercilessly evicted and chose to exile all the Minotaurs, leaving their artifacts behind. Phasing doesn't exile. The permanent is not in play, but neither did it leave the- And the dagger faces reflect the jagged edges of my failure. Doesn't leave the battlefield or re-enter it before you untap. Whenever I smell beef cooking, I think of the lost Minotaurs. I lose my appetite because I'm full of the blood of my vengeance oath. And all ores and equipment stay on the permanent that's not there, so... That's why I must kill you! Destroyer! You know what? You're right. Phasing is too confusing. Go ahead and kill me. Sabira shows up and whips Quende into shape, literally. Stop being idiots! She says and smacks some sense into Quende. She hijacks one of her own wagons and takes Teferi away from the chaos all around them. Years later, Sabira and Teferi have their own little homestead and their own little daughter, Niambi. Teferi watches over Niambi while Sabira is away on her caravan, and he discovers for himself the joy and love and baby poop of parenting a gorgeous and wonderful baby. One day, baby Niambi trips, and he freezes her in time by reflex. He sees the fall will do her no lasting harm. He could lift her out of it. He could even confine her out of time forever. Being a child is dangerous business, after all. Instead, Teferi lets her fall. She bounces up again with laughter. Wow. So I'm going to say I'm really glad to see a story that is focused on character development. Um, uh, after such a long time of like three act situations where we're like, here's the introduction, here's the rise in action, here's the fall in action, and then we, we continue to do things, and also here's a hanging Chad thing to like entice the viewers for next time uh, on the episode the of end. Dominaria. So I, I think probably you could still find some of those beats in the story, certainly, but uh, in this case, we are seeing some character change, and that's always exciting. Yeah, no, Teferi, I, I really didn't know about him as a newer Magic player, and so, you know, my experience of him has basically just been this one really arrogant time mage who went and decided to phase a whole bunch of things in and out of things, and also messed around with time, and was stuck in a time bubble for a long time. <laughs> on fire. So I'm really happy to see um, his character develop and grow into someone really believable, really mature, and willing to live with the consequences of his actions. It's, it's really refreshing, um, just because I know that in Dominaria before, we just had a bunch of all-powerful beings basically clashing heads all the time, causing chaos everywhere. And they would just keep doing whatever they were doing. Cough, cough, Urza, cough, They were cough. very much in the, not even like comic book heroes and villains. They were like Greek gods in the way they behaved. Yeah, yeah. Less, um, less taking other people's wives, though, which is good. I, too, had the same concern at the end of episode six that we weren't going to get the full story of how Teferi felt about Zalfir so many years later. There, there was some light touching upon it after they had solved Urza's maze and Teferi found the artifact from beneath the floor. But that there was so much restraint, and I felt that that was a missed opportunity. And I was worried that it, it, would, it, it would be an, an, an opportunity that would never come back around. Lo and behold, Episode 7 is all about, uh, all about that, the... the the repercussions, both emotionally and socially, of having done one's best to try to save his home city, his his uh, his home, and then I, I mean, I just felt like I was right there on the beach watching just these glimpses of Zalfir as the clouds were going by, glistening in the sunlight, if only for a brief moment, and then that moment would be gone. And I just felt that sadness and I felt that responsibility. And those are the things that I really connect to in Magic Story. So I was very happy to see those here in Episode 7. Yeah, Zelfir and Void is definitely one of the more poignant <clears throat> cards in the set. And I'm glad we were able to experience that here from Deferi's perspective. I wasn't sure we were going to see his change 
in a description of how he came uh, to be a father of Naomi, but we are seeing it here. Um, and uh, that end visual, which demonstrates his change by rescuing his daughter, by not trying to rescue her from every slight with his time magic, every, every bruise with time magic, I think was a very powerful visual way to demonstrate his character change. And uh, that's a pretty good for a short story. Short stories don't actually usually show character change. And this is a short story unto itself. Yeah, no, I felt like this story really showed a really beautiful arc uh, between Teferi. Uh, Teferi stands alone at the beginning, right? He is alone on the shore. He is basically looking into the horizon at his mistake, except maybe it wasn't a mistake, right? He felt like he did the best thing he could, and yet he's still suffering. Well, not really suffering, but he is experiencing the aftershocks, the after effects of, of his own actions. And so he's never, what really struck me about that first part was the fact that he clearly feels a deep sense of guilt and regret for what he did or rather what he can't do. Because I do think that it was the correct move for him to face himself here. What is unfortunate, and I think the story makes this really clear, is the fact that he does not have the power to bring it back. He wants to, but he can't. And so he has to learn to live with that. So I think it was correct for him to be irritated at Urza. And I think it was correct for him to not want his people to get slaughtered by Phyrexians, whom he didn't, wasn't sure if they could beat at all, uh, mm-hmm. even all together forces. But I think it was still incorrect for him to phase them out because not only was it against their will, that was, it wasn't really his choice to make, but also because it caused cataclysm and it endangered all the other people in Dominaria. Like the, it wasn't just a um, a gentle, gentle kind of uh, pe- fairy dust <laughs> sprinkling over not. everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It, it did cause uh, tsunamis elsewhere in Dominaria, and it was a major tectonic event. So uh, I think I'm not sure all that is relevant, or even maybe relevant to this story, or relevant to kind of the revision that they wanted. They're seeing for this new age story, but uh, I think if, from my vantage point, it was incorrect. But on the other hand, uh, whether or not it was correct doesn't really bear relevance on who, as relevance on who Teferi is now, and we do see him changing, and we do see him coming to grips, like, well, maybe it, maybe it could still be not correct, and where do I go from, what do I do with myself now, what can I, if, maybe it's possible, I'll never be able to make up for this, but how do I live with myself, how do I make myself do something worthy at this point? So mm-hmm. that's I, inter- those are interesting questions that I I like to see yeah. in the story. I do seem to remember Urza warning to Fairy that yeah. if he were to do something as drastic as phase out, uh, is it self? Is it self? Yeah, okay. just all of self here. That it could have very severe consequences. Mm-hmm. Did was that a different event? I think that, that yeah, I think that's the flavor text of one of the cards. I forget which mm-hmm. one. Maybe yeah. it's a Fairy's mode or something. But uh, yeah, yeah, it is no. a, it's a, it was not a minor decision. No, it was a it was a really big deal. I mean, Teferi saw the carnage that the Phyrexians had brought uh, to the people of Dominaria, and he wanted to spare the people he cared about from that kind of suffering, from that kind of war. I mean, and specifically, he yeah. didn't want them to be a pawn in Urza's game, and yep. that was probably a correct wish because yeah, yeah. that was what Urza was all about. But on the other hand, I think strategically, in a broad sense, it was a mistake. But also, uh, maybe it doesn't matter in the in the yeah in the freaking Urza term. and his special salad bowl. Anyway, could we, could we get a quick refresher on why Teferi can't bring Zelfir so, back? Okay, so so Teferi wasn't the only person to phase out their home. Um, I think he did Joyra. it for Joyra as well. Yeah, he did it for Joyra. He was as a gentleman, well. and yes, he because he cares about you know Joyra, and so he phased out Shiv as well. But he was able to give up his spark in order to bring Shiv back. And since he no longer has a spark and there aren't any other planeswalkers who are just like, what up? I'm ready to get, I'm ready to give my spark up so you can bring in Zalfir. And specifically, Jessica, the, the planeswalker, uh, cauterized the wound, so to speak. To close the time rift, she just sacrificed, uh, sacrificed Zalfir or kept it pushed out of time forever, potentially. And 
she didn't consult the fairy, or at least she didn't listen to him. I, I, her, her movements were very, uh, I would say, badass, kind of like action hero uh, movie, but not necessarily ethical. But she didn't worry about that. She's green red, and uh, she just needed to do <laughs> what she had to do to save Dominaria in the short term. And that was part of that was cauterizing that wound to keep Salfair faced out. Yep. So he can't bring it back. Like he just does not have the power to do so. Meanwhile, if someone were to be on Zelfir while this all is happening, and let's say, just for sake of imagining what it would be like, Zelfir would be phased back in. Like, are are they just locked in a moment of time where everything is at a standstill? Are they separate from time? I, I understand that phasing is... <laughs> Such, really an intuitive Such an intuitive in ability. Yeah, I, I actually I don't. I'm not deep enough in that time period to know exactly what the theory is behind phasing. But I I, I think perhaps that is an unknown. I think that they're sus- well. No, they're not suspended because they suspended. Suspended in per- exile. Yes, yeah. Per- yeah. Suspension. Suspended permanents are in exile. Um, and then they come back in and they, yeah, anyway, um, that's not, <laughs> we're not a judge cast, by the way, we love judge cast. So, but uh, yeah, I, I like to think that they're actually living in their own kind of like sitting in a bottle existence, but maybe that's just the romantic in me. Yeah. I think, I mean, just sort of thinking about the physics, not love the, not really the real physics, but like the in world physics of the thing. If they are not in a time stream then they cannot experience time. And if they're not in space, then they just don't exist. So I, I'm not sure if by phasing that they've been moved into like an alternate time and space continuum. I, I'm talking like a like a Marvel <laughs> comic person right now. Uh, wait, is this Earth 512 or is this <laughs> Earth 337? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure if there's a canon thing suggesting if they experience time. But yeah, I, I could also believe that they actually, no time has elapsed for them as well at all. Yeah, so you're basically, I mean, my understanding is that they're just, like, we could be, you you out there, our listeners, you could be stuck out in a phase right now. <gasps> and then maybe you were phased back in, but you just didn't know yeah. that. Oh my gosh. Because time just continued, and so did space. And then Thanos the, came and took those stones. And I'm just joking. <laughs> the way they speak about these people, I, I think Michelle's theory is a little bit more likely. They're literally just, I hate saying literally, but they, they are uh, out of time and they don't move and they are basically not living at this point. Yeah, they're not living. They're sort of like suspended in jello, I would but think. But not actually suspended. Like. Perhaps more relevant to our discussion is that... Uh, Strawberry or cherry or lime? Jello, it seems reasonable. Okay, well that's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe to fairy didn't make a mistake. After <laughs> you, were saying, you were saying a. The, uh, I, Why are all these pineapples around? <laughs> the fact that Teferi's coming to terms with something which is unforgivable is a journey that Gideon also needs to undergo. So I'm wondering if perhaps Teferi could help Gideon. I first thought Liliana was going to give him an evil pet top. <laughs> but evil pep talk, but maybe it is get, maybe it's Teferi who's going to help Gideon come to terms with his own unforgivable past actions. Maybe he'll say something like, "You just killed four people. <laughs> I phased out an entire civilization, bro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Best get over yourself and move on. Yeah. Just move on. That um, is a drop in the planeswalker bucket, my son. Yeah, no, he's just like, wow, this is what post mending planeswalking is like." Mm how the mighty have fallen um prior so prior to dominaria teferi was mono blue and then new new teferi teferi time made no teferi hero of dominaria Mm -hmm. is blue white yep do you think we we've gotten to a point in the story where we've seen teferi shift in color or do you think that's yet to come i think we're seeing the start of it so white very much as a color cares about the people around them. It cares about community and it cares about order. Um, blue in and of itself is, uh, can care about other people, but it's very much about the pursuit of knowledge and using that knowledge and other resources to perfect themselves and to better themselves. So to fairy taking on white could mean that he is in fact looking at the bigger picture 
and seeing what role he has to play in order to keep not just Dominaria, but perhaps the multiverse safe as well from Mr. Big Golden Horns. Yeah, I think maybe White Teferi is Daddy Planeswalker Teferi. So yeah, he's Daddy. thinking about other things besides himself at this point. It's like, I've got... Well, the thing is, remember, at the very end of the story, he has chosen to be vulnerable and to open himself to other people and form those connections. He has a family now. And, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. You don't normally parent in isolation. So um, he's definitely relying on a network of individuals to support him, not just only in raising his child, but also emotionally. Um, you know, that that's a lot. You know, he's opened up to Sabira. Having that kind of relationship is um, a very scary, vulnerable thing to do when you perceive yourself as being perhaps distant, separate, or maybe even unworthy of that kind of support and love. So, yay, Teferi, you grew up to be a, an adult after Daddy like, forever. Daddy Planeswalker, we're so proud Daddy, of you. Daddy, Daddy Teferi. I'm, so who do you think's a better father, Teferi or Angrath? Well, Angrath's dead, so. <laughs> okay, Absentee, it's not really was. close. He he, <laughs> let, he abandoned his children, and they sharpened knives for him for 14 years. Oh, God. So, yeah, it's definitely Teferi. Well, I mean, do you think Angrath was a good, like, okay, so let's just Oh, sure, he did get presents for his kids. He did get presents for his kids. I mean, like, do, but, do you think, like, what, what, what do you think Angrath's parenting style was like as opposed to... You know, as opposed to fairy, do you think Angrath was like would, would like just push his kids over <laughs> instead of letting them fall? He'd be like, "Fall, <laughs> learn from pain." Oh, so Angrath mentioned to Watley back on Exelon that he would planeswalk to different planes. Maybe this is Lorgoyf canon and not actual canon, but I seem to remember reading that he would planeswalk to different parts of the multiverse and then bring his daughter's back toys, right? Oh, that's right? canon. Yeah, okay. that's canon. So he, was, he spent, it seems, a pretty significant chunk of time out, outside of his, his daughters, like raising his daughters. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe it was like a day thing. Maybe he was... I don't think he was like a traveling salesman, well, businessman, well, maybe a traveling slaughter cow man. Um, I think he maybe it was more of like a day trip. Like he's like, oh, I've come back with, you know, one of these really cool toys from Akros. Here are some hoplites. I think he would have been. things. <laughs> had he had the opportunity to, I think he would have been a great father and raised his baby girls to be the best assassin minotaurs. Mm-hmm. But I think um, I, I don't I, I I don't know I think I would prefer to have Teferi as my dad. I think too. I think me too. Yeah. I having been well, I was raised in a military family, mm-hmm. so you know my parents had to often take long trips away because duty called. Mm-hmm. And you know, as it as an afterthought, it you know it would be it would be nice to have. Plus, like, Teferi is, what, like 400 years old at this point? Something like that, yeah. And so that's 400 years of experience. <laughs> no no offense to my poor mortal parents, <laughs> but that's 400 years. Like, I'd be homeschooled. Is dad, Daddy can do magic. Like You, you would have to sit down on whoopee cushions all the time. Yeah, that's you would. True. Dad. Yeah, Your sofa is just made from whoopee cushions. I think the last, <laughs> the last thing I wanted to point out, though, is that that there is a real stereotype out there that is blatantly untrue about black fathers, especially here in America, not being here for their kids. Um, And first of all, that's statistically untrue, but I am really happy to see um, a representation of a character uh, that helps to confront that stereotype that's healthy and awesome. No, there are good fathers and not so good fathers in... All colors and shapes and sizes. Doesn't matter what race or nationality or where you live or where you work, you know. Even in the Antarctic, some penguin dads are just better than others. But it is a a a tale of somebody who was a trickster, somebody who was immature, growing into a a real beautiful person with a real beautiful story. So yeah. You know, if Teferi can't be my daddy, then, you know, 
I don't know where I was going with that. I don't know. I, <laughs> just, be, I be, just want Mommy Tamio and Daddy Teferi. He could be my we'll planeswalker friend. We'll just live in our bant house, you know, telling stories. And, and we'll be cushions. I think now is the time for a break for our sponsors. And we'll return after this episode. After this, uh, this break, right? Or episode, or I don't episode. know. Who go knows? Grab, go grab a I snack think we're phasing or something. Out. Oh God, we're, we're phasing out. out. We're, phasing out. we're, we're no, not going we're phasing, to exist, uh, oh, and, oh. Welcome back to another episode of the Artful Bite, a cooking show for vampires. I'm Avrin Fane, and today we have a very special episode. Our guest is a visitor from a faraway plane. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Slimefoot to the show. We are honored to be here. And we are honored to have you. Can I just say that I love the staff? It's so regal and elegant. Ho, 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 ho. This, this is actually the shriveled remains of my great, great, great grandparent who lived a long and prosperous life two weeks ago. Wow, that's very interesting and charming. So, Slimefoot, what's on the menu for today? Today we are making a classic from my homeland, Dominaria. We call it Sapling Ratatouille. That sounds amazing! It is quite the dish. While I am doing the last of the prep work, why don't you tell me a little more about the saplings on Ixalan? Sure. They're from the Tendershoot Forest, in generally high supply around overgrowths, that is, if you can catch them. <laughs> we are puzzled. Do saplings on Ixalan desire not to be eaten? You know, I've never had the opportunity to ask one. But then again, why would anything want to be eaten? <laughs> oh, well, why do grapes have seeds? Why do pomegranates blossom and fruit? Why do tomatoes Pull away from the vine when ripened. Something ought to be consumed. But those examples are all inanimate plants. Saprolings aren't plants. They're creatures. Here, it says on the card. See? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Indeed they are. But your saprolings here are feral, which gives them that earthy, rainy taste. Saplings from Dominaria have been bred generation over generation, to enjoy being eaten is their sole purpose, and it fills them with elation, which is why they taste so fulfilled and joyous. We're finished with the prep work. Now it is time to harvest some saprolings. Harvest? You mean you didn't already have them prepared? Oh, of course not, Marvin. Maverin. Morgan, saprolings are best fresh, like the ones I grew on my back this morning. <laughs> This feels so wrong. Oh, Morgan, don't be such a bean sprout. Maverin. Oh, heavens my! They're literally jumping into the frying pan. That's it. I'm shutting this down right now. That's all the time we have. I wouldn't do that. Is that a threat? Oh, not at all, Mr. Fandangaroo. You just wouldn't want to see a crop of saprolings who have been denied from achieving their one true purpose. But they're too cute! Stop cooking, please! I'm crying blood! So be it, Mr. Morky Morky. Thank you. That'll be all for this episode of The Artful Bite. And remember, kids, if it runs... Hey! Hey! What the hell is going on? No, 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 that's an antique. You vexing devils. Ah! Not the tiny spoons. No. If it runs towards your fangs, don't eat it. Azing back in. Okay, um, I yeah. think we're phased back in. Yeah, no time. We're during the untapped phase as well, so there was no uh, time to put any effects on the stack. And yeah. we're, we're ready to go. Out? Yeah, didn't you? We, yeah, you didn't even you didn't, realize you it. You didn't feel it? Yeah. No. You didn't feel it? I Wait, felt like a time lurch is it? in my belly button. No, yeah. it's the same time. That's no, oh. no time at all. We didn't, when we, phase, when we phased out, we didn't even untap. So that just, no time at all passed. Yeah, oh my no goodness. Time at all. Well, that yeah. didn't feel 
painful or worrisome at all. Yeah, no, I just smelled like faintly of marshmallows and then that was it. Yeah. It's like a random side effect. If you didn't know, like you just come back and you smell a little bit like marshmallows. I don't even know what a marshmallow smells like. A little bit like sugar, air, and a little bit of guilt. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. You know? Unless they're scotch marshmallows. In which, which case they smell. <laughs> I make scotch marshmallows and they are boozy. Yes, they are. <laughs> they are so boozy. They, they How do, smell like. Booze. Like my 20s. <laughs> you know, they, they, they smell like the highlands of Scotland. <laughs> I remember what my marshmallows smelled like. They were burnt. Yes. Mm, those are the best kind of marshmallows. You know, burnt scotch marshmallows are pretty good. But anyway. Whoa. So we're phased back in, and we smell faintly of, sh- of sugar and guilt. But we do want to talk a little bit more about Teferi and the fact that he's becoming the hero of Dominaria. And we're seeing a little bit of some interest here. I'm seeing, so what's interesting is that we have quite the coterie of heroes in this set, right? With like legends. We've got, we've got Shanna, Sissé's legacy. We've got Raph Capuchin, teenage wizard extraordinaire who doesn't have to fight Voldemort. Um, at least one in every pack. Yeah, at least one in every pack. So, the, and Tiana, Arvad, and then we have Liliana and Gideon and Joyra, and now we've got Teferi. And so what is it, I guess, Justin, you were asking, like, so what is it about Teferi that's going to make him the hero of Dominaria? Yeah. When Dominaria. We last, Dominaria. Oh, uh, yeah. When so. we last left Teferi and the main <laughs> Dominaria storyline, he just defeated an ancient so-called maze and recovered an artifact that had been sealed in the floor for God's know how long. Yeah, basically, he completed the final level on that platformer. And um, he. we thought that maybe at first that was his spark, but turns out Joyra has it. And she's worn it in a locket around her neck for God's know how long. Yeah, I would feel a little bit nervous about wearing a piece of jewelry with that amount of power in it so close to my heart. So it seems like for the last 60 or so years, I believe, Teferi has been working very hard to try to bring back Zelfir. And he's been exhausting a lot of different options. Somewhere along the way, he found that this underground dungeon existed around this plateau. And now that he's recovered the artifact... Considering his Planeswalker card is the hero of Dominaria, is there any chance at all, do you think, that he is able to use this artifact and then restore what was taken away? I like to think so. I mean, we we did just see basically the big spoiler of like, we, we basically got Chekhov's gun, but it's not gun, it's a giant phased out city. Um, and And so the question I guess I have is like, well, he's a planeswalker, but does he stay a planeswalker? Like, he clearly takes his spark back, right? Because he's got a planeswalker card. But does he then give it up to bring Zalfir back? Like, he's been spending those past 60 years either trying to deal with the situation and the trauma and also, and or also, like, trying to figure out a way to get his home back. And so... Well, he's all, he also has an oath. Mm. So we know he, that at some point he joins the King Watch. Like, like I just you know, wish Teferi, that the gate watch was was not a thing anymore. But you know, you just have to. I heard that the I heard that our old sponsor Gatewatch was gonna come out with some new sense and flavor. So uh, I'm fine with the gate watch now that they've gotten the snot beat out of them by Nicole Bolas. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. So, um, I will say that the further he gets away from uh, Femref, the more the people will think fondly of Deferi overall because he certainly. Um, he helped quite a bit in the efforts to defeat the Phyrexians at every step of the way, apart from the fact that he sabotaged the entire th- everything by phasing out Zalfir. So if, if, as he gets further from Jamura, the people will remember him more fondly, and they might be more willing to think of him as a hero. Uh, if he does something epic, which he has the opportunity to do, and that I cannot speculate on. Okay, fair enough. But I guess the thing, too, is that... Um so when Teferi takes up the oath, that means that he's going to join the Gatewatch and fight Nicol Bolas. And I'm a little worried about Daddy Teferi because I don't know if Teferi can, like, stop time and, like, 
then everybody can beat up on Nicol Bolas. I'm just trying to imagine, okay, so what if Teferi wasn't Amonkhet with the rest of the Gatewatch? Like, would they really have been able to, at that point, like, take on this big gold dragon? Like, I, I'm just not sure, but... Well, well, to put it in the lens of Final Fantasy tactics, you've got <laughs> a, a warrior or a knight, you've got a monk, you've got a black wizard... Uh, you've got a uh, illusionist, uh, an illusionist With summoner, <laughs> an, an illusionist, and you've got a time mage. So, out of all of these characters, if you're Nico Bolas, who do you go after first? The time mage. I would go after the time mage. Yeah, because basically they're gonna give your the extra. You're gonna get. They're gonna give extra rounds to your other characters. So when they do their turn based <laughs> yep. combat, they have an extra combat phase. And then that's, it's like combat celebrant almost a little bit. Yeah, like yeah, all of the attack steps. All of the attack steps are just redone. And then like, they can, they can like recoup, you know, it's, yeah, time ages are very, very dangerous. And I guess that's something that didn't really hit home until I saw Teferi fight. Like the fact that he's able to just like rust weapons and just do just that like freeze cool people. Move. That was really, really cool. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what else he can do. Um, because time is is really, really important as as a concept and just having mastery or dominion over that is re- really, really powerful. Um so I did look it up and it is as I remembered correctly. Nicole Bolas has trounced a fairy previously. Yeah. Interesting. Poop. Well, guess what? He's not just Teferi. He's Daddy Teferi now. Hero of Daddy Mario. Uh-huh. And if there's one guy who's going to be kicking butt and taking names, it's going to be Daddy Teferi. Follow- it sounds like, if I'm reading this, this is the Magic Week. He, uh, he uh, not only defeated Teferi, he shredded him and then taunted his corpse in front of his friends. So there's a bit of bad blood. Oh, that's yeah, nice. Yeah, there. you know what? Um, they have a bit of a history. Uh, there's certainly some motive with which Teferi might want to redeem himself. So know? Bolas not only defeated Teferi, but shredded his corpse and then used his corpse to taunt Teferi's friends? Yeah, and then he, Teferi so got he better. So he made, like, Teferi oh, Teferi got better. <laughs> Of course. Yeah, he was a plane, preventing planeswalkers. So, you know, what? what's, a, what's an he existence? He just made, like, okay, the right. pom-poms that, and, like, wave them in front of his sense. friends. Oh, God. That's some Gerard taking Urza's head to Yawgmoth's Walden, Hannah situation. Because, uh, so it says, uh, more or less, Bolas decided to let the fairy live. Uh, because he didn't really care about him. He cared about the Umazawas, who would be the one to defeat him in the first place. So he, then he swore his vengeance against them, and so now we have the uh, adorable... What, what is her name again? Tetsuko Umazawa? Tetsuka? Tetsuko so Umazawa. She best look over her shoulder and see if there's any golden arches looming over her. Not McDonald's! <laughs> yes! No! The true, so much value the true on the dollar peril, menu! The well, true peril of Dominaria. No. If she manages to show up to the fight with a bunch of 1-1 saprolings, I mean, like a pre-release, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, then yeah. you're basically guaranteed. Game over! Oh, yeah. Game over, Justin! Yo, game yeah. over! Speaking yeah. of the pre-release, would you like to share some of... Uh, you're a pre Are we at the point where we can share pre-release stories at this point? I think so. Yeah, no, we we definitely put the call out uh, to our listeners asking for your favorite, fl- most flavorful pre-release moments, and you certainly did not disappoint. But we also had some fun interactions of our own. So, yeah, Justin, do you want to take it away? Sure. So, I first of all, wow, uh, the this this uh, sealed format is so unlike sealed formats. From before my first opening of the uh, booster packs, oh, what did I get? Doesn't matter what I opened. What what matters is that uh, the guy across from me opened a promo Karn. Um, and also one of the people at my table opened a foil saga. Whoa, those are so the the foil sagas. The sagas themselves, first of all, they're so pretty. I, I okay. they're so powerful and, and also very powerful. I I had opened up the Flame of Keld and built a red white deck just to see what it looked like, and then I asked our friend Bob, like Bob, what do you think of this deck? He's like, I don't know about Flame of Keld, and I said, but it's so pretty. <laughs> the pre-release is a time to play pretty cards. 
Yes, pre-release, if there's any time for you to just do things because of fun, then like, yeah, do it. But my best flavor win was I had a, a Danitha with a black black blade equipped Ooh. to Danitha, her. how could you? That's not flavorful. She's so pure. But, <laughs> <laughs> but was she like a plus 13, plus 13? She was huge. But yes. my opponent had the the blue enchantment that turns her into a zero four oh, wall. Oh, deep freeze. No. Yeah. She's frozen. She was still like, I don't know, at that point. Well, it had seven <laughs> mana on the battlefield. So she was a 7-11 wall with no abilities. Uh, but then my next turn, I top deck the the djinn. Uh, oh. So I tap the black oh, blade yes. and then tap four mana and oh. cast the djinn. And my opponent was like, oh, no. And this, this, <laughs> this guy is a good player. Uh, and so I cast the gin and then I moved the black blade over. So I had at that point a 12, 13 flying angry genie with uh, a sword w- with a sword. Yeah. yeah. That was hot. That, <laughs> that the, was- oh, as a, as a side thought, the artifacts in this set. Whoa. And the auras in this set. Holy cow. Things yeah. get exciting, yeah. The power level in the set is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, the even the dub is pretty spicy. I was dubbing people left and right with... Uh, um, what is his name? Quende? Yeah, Quende. Quende. Yeah, that got pretty saucy. Oh, it's man. like there's an assembly line of just creatures, and it's like paperwork, stamp, dub, the sir or madam, dame. Dame. So my most flavorful card was actually Tiana in foil, so she was a shiny angel. Oh, we opened one of those in our pre We opened like three of them. So Justin and I were actually partners in Two-Headed Giant. And I, unfortunately, our pool was pretty terrible. Our pool terrible. was terrible. But AE, terrible. But, but AE, finish your flavor story. Well, uh, that was that was the end. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> that that was the shortened end of it, a because shiny Firefly. Tiana. Yes. Uh, what more do you want? But I will say I heard on the uh, Rare Set review that Marshall Sutcliffe had a we- weather light and he... Crude with Giora. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's so flavorful. And that's that's my favorite pick. And then the other flavorful thing happened to me was uh, my opponent cast Belzenok and I died. Actually, that wasn't flavorful at all. (laughs) Because hopefully the ending of this story will be Belzenok's defeated because clearly he's way too overpowered. I just want him to die. This time it's personal. <laughs> so this time it's personal. <laughs> so I opened up um, for my pre-release this blue-green pool, and it was okay. I think if I'm a little rusty, so I, I think if I was a better player, I might have been able to eke out a win because I was so close. I, I nearly went three-one instead of two-two. But um, what my favorite flavor win was equipping, not equipping, but uh, sticking Arcane Flight on my cold water snapper. So I made a, what, a 5-6 hexproof flying turtle. And I basically made my own, like, Koopa Paratroopa. So as far as I'm concerned, um, Flavor and Mario win. I hope your opponent appreciated that deep. Yeah, no. Did you actually, like, like, simulate the long jumps and then... (laughs) fling it at do, his do, face do, 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 do. or her that's, face. That's a bit of a rub-in, I feel. But Yeah. Uh, no, it was it was just sort of, I think he was just like, um, oh, it's a giant hex-proof do, turtle. Do, do. <laughs> Swing at you for six. Can't <laughs> block <laughs> it. Can't destroy it. Ba-boom, boom. <laughs> that turtle, man, that turtle got me out of a lot of problems. Turn the salt factory on, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. So, um... Next door to where I was playing the pre-release and Udo Games, they had a junior Planeswalkers pre-release with a bunch of kids opening these cards for the first time. So I went over there to try to see if they could actually, how much they understood of these complex cards. But, I mean, they luckily weren't too complex. And they were thrilled, thrilled most of all to see the Legends. And, uh, of course, they, I think they were see, thrilled to see the Mesa uh, Mesa Unicorn, the Mesa Unicorn. And, Mesa uh, Unicorn. I, I did, I think I almost felt something in my heart region to see them <laughs> play the Mesa Unicorns and uh, see their uh, ecstasy over them. So they really loved the legends such as Yargle, and I got to see um, uh, a young planeswalker woman play, well, a young girl play, uh, what is the black-white Legend riding a Ariel. Knight, Ariel. Ariel Knight. Of she Wind even Grace. sounds like the, my yeah. little uh, knight riding a p- panther. But uh, 
Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if she won, but how could she have not have won with that oh, card? She was already a winner. Ariel is good so good. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think I played against a uh, black-white deck that had both Arvad and Ariel, and I was just like, I can't, I can't win. I can't win. This is terrible. And then Shalia hit the board, and I'm like, no, everything is terrible. I'm like holding my face in my hands because it was just that traumatic. It's like, ah. But um, the kids were not traumatized. They were very pleased to play with these cards. That was my impression. And, and certainly, Yargle was popular wherever he romped around on his little skittering feet. Oh, Yargle. I had a Yargle in my deck, for sure. What did you do with him? Well, I only got to play him once. And when I played him, oh, this was so bad. So my, my opponent, for some reason, two drops were just not very popular. I guess they're just not very popular in the format. So... Uh, no two drops were played, and then my opponent didn't play a three drop, and then he played a four drop. I don't remember what it was, and then I played the Eldest Reborn, and so he sacrificed oh. the creature. And then the next turn, I played Yargle on an empty board. Yeah, Yargle. Yeah, and Get then I, there, I got Yargle. in there for nine. Yargle. Get that Yeah, and then at that point, I had the Eldest Reborn with two lore counters, and I played a land that turn. So I had six six lands, six mana available. And I used the last white mana to cast Tragic Poet. <gasps> so he was, yeah, it, yeah. it was against Marty. We love Marty. Oh, we love Marty. But you yargled him hard. But we yargled oh, him. Yeah. I'm like, if I can get one hit off of Yargle, I will be thrilled. He was flargled. He was flargled by Yargle. Oh, yeah. No, definitely. Margled, even. Um, well, so the other thing that we, so we definitely want to highlight some of the best flavor wins we saw from, from our friends on Twitter. So first of all, uh, we, the first one's from Josh Redfern. My black, white legends matters deck was basically a Yargle matters deck, non-legendary board wipe check, mass land destruction check, <laughs> death by Yargle check. Well done, sir. <laughs> Um, Follow the Thran after a Yargle. Yeah, basically. Yargle I, stands alone. I, I love, yeah, basically, I love that Yargle is the only ledge, like the only thing standing after an Urza's ruinous blast. He's like the T Rex from Jurassic Park. <laughs> and like the T Rex, actually, kind of the opposite of T Rexes are more bottom heavy, when, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. He, Yargle our skips bobblehead leg day. Yar Yargle is kind of. He skips, around. Yeah, he skips leg day. He doesn't have... He skips leg day. Yeah. <laughs> He's 9-3. Come on. <laughs> it's all up here in the pecs and the biceps. Um, when, he, when he frog jumps, like, do you imagine him, like, just... Falling over. Frog jumping and then not landing on his feet, but just... Yeah, I like think hitting, yeah. He does hitting check the surface I like a comet. I don't think he jumps anymore. I think he skitters. My yeah. my my philosophy has always been that he just skitters around very very quickly, so that the momentum of his body allows him <laughs> to not fall over, like because he's so top heavy. Falling forward, yeah, yeah, falling forward all the time. So he's constantly trying to compensate by just skittering around super quickly, um, like on his tippy toes. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, if I looked at his legs, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, okay, so we've got another one from Kat, also at The Running Free. I dubbed a corrosive ooze and referred to him as Sir Ooze for the rest of the game. Fantabulous. Yes. But my favorite was Triumph of Gerarding my Yavamaya sap herd and describing it as a humongous fungus. Wait. <laughs> and and the last one uh, that she got is I punched the weather light to death. <laughs> By chump with a chump blocking with a Pegasus Corsair and a Gideon's reproach. Oh, wow. <laughs> so basically just this Pegasus is like rising up and is like punch. And then Gideon trashed the place. Yeah, basically. Um This is for my friends. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so the next one I have is a love story um, composed by Ooh. Bex and Locke, Elder Cake Demon, also known as At Behold MTG. Nice. And uh, so we have the Knight of Malice and the Knight of Grace champions from oh, yes. feuding families bolstered by their star-crossed love, passing a jousting lance back and forth as they held a larger opposing ar army at bay. 
Alas, they were in the end both frozen by a pair of icy manipulators. Oh, icy manipulators. This is a tragedy. <laughs> it's a real Romeo Juliet yeah, situation. That's what happened in my round four, too. Oh, no. Oh, gosh. <laughs> well, they're frozen, but at least they're frozen in one embrace. Yes, in one. Night of malice, night of malice, wherefore art thou, night of malice? Oh! <laughs> What's happened? I seem to have been turned sideways. <laughs> she fell, she, her, her horse froze and she fell off it. And as he reached for her, he crystallized. Oh, oh no. It was just like two of them reaching out for each other. Oh, the sadness. Frozen. This is a better lady hawk. A better story than Twilight, that's for sure. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh. Thanks for telling us about your epic saga, Bex and Locke. I've heard so many comparisons to the Night of Malice and the Night of Grace being having protection from their opposing colors that I thought that the cre these creatures were unblockable if I controlled any like anything that these uh, the, the knights had protection from. And I took so much unnecessary damage because I didn't think that I could block. And so my opponents were like, swing three, swing three, swing three. And I was like, the hell with these knights. <laughs> yeah, I, I made almost made the same mistake. But uh, yeah. Oh, did but you newer, read the card? Yeah, I did, I, I did <laughs> use that. I didn't always do that. But uh, the uh, yeah, there are, I'm sure newer players don't have that problem. Mm. Oh, so here's another one um, from Queerberry Muffin, also known as at Queerberry Muffin. Thank you. My favorite kind of muffin. Oh, yes. I killed someone by flinging a squee at their face over and over again with Siege Gang Commando. Nice. Oh, beautiful. That's Squeeze. really Happiest wonderful. Moments. Oh, my gosh. Um, another one is uh, JoJo at JodyJ1442. My one loss was due to a Yargle carried into a battle by a Pegasus. Oh, Beautiful. Oh, it's, that's just beautiful. Just those glorious white wings expanding and on her back, a horrific monster yeah. slavering <laughs> everywhere. Just like, arr, arr, because Pegasi choose those they carry, and they only choose those pure at heart. And Gargle's like, I never felt so alive <laughs> riding on the back of my Pegasus. All right. Well, maybe on that high note, we should we should call it a night. Yeah, I think so. I think the only thing we left was uh, my Yargle died to basically everything. Does this count? And it does, Nick Prince. It does. <laughs> <laughs> also, we love you. Yes, we do. <laughs> yes. Okay, with that, I do think we should probably wrap it up. Um, no phasing out this time, though. We're gonna we're gonna properly say yeah, that. Yeah, I have work tomorrow. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't think my my superiors w would buy the fact that I phased out again. Oh yeah, I know. It wasn't voluntary, you know. If you want to help, that might help. Anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it won't. <laughs> Phasing out not not a suitable work excuse. Um, so with that, to say you were sick, Justin. <laughs> to say you were sick. No, I wasn't sick. I phased out. <laughs> what does that mean? It's a long story. It's a little complicated. So I come back in I was sick. before I was the ice phase. <laughs> I don't use the stack. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If that, we will be seeing you next week. Take Bye. care. And thank you, Malik, for voicing Teferi. Oh yeah, well done. Woo! Also, the best DJ in San Francisco. <laughs> All right, bye. Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait where what? are we? Where where do people find us? Oh, so you can find us on Twitter at Lorgoifs. Um, you can also email us at Lorgoifs at gmail.com. Um, you can find me, Michelle, on Twitter at Ninox underscore Morepork. You can find me at Justiferous. And I at A.E. Marling. And with that, we will go ahead and sign off. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Ribbit. <laughs>